Global markets are on tenterhooks ahead of the Fed's decision and new forecasts early tomorrow morning, although market expectations about rate cuts starting in March ease back a bit overnight. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our deep dive interview, we look ahead with ANZ economist Deeraj Nim to India's pre-election budget due on Thursday night. India's fiscal problem is not so much a large spending bill, but it's, you know, poor capacity to raise enough taxes. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, the Fed's decision early tomorrow morning is hanging over markets this morning, with better-than-expected job openings data and consumer confidence in the United States helping to drive down expectations of a Fed funds rate cut in March by another 10 basis points to 39%. That saw the Nasdaq ease almost a percent in morning trade, and the S&P 500 was down 0.2%. The US dollar therefore firmed a bit with those slightly higher expectations of US interest rates. Now that meant the Aussie dollar was down slightly at 65.92 US cents at 5am Sydney Melbourne time, while the Kiwi dollar eased a bit to 61.21 US cents. Number two, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's chief economist Paul Conway gave a speech yesterday that pushed back at market expectations for cash rate cuts within months. Here's ANZ's New Zealand chief economist Sharon Zollner on Conway's comments, which some in the market hoped would signal a pivot. A fairly key point he made in the speech was that the recent GDP revisions are not necessarily a game changer. They're not necessarily going to lead the Reserve Bank to massively revise down its estimate of where capacity pressures have been uh, and therefore where inflation pressures are going. Number three. So the gap remains between the market's view and the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's view. Here's Sharon again. The message was monetary policy is working, uh, but we still have a way to go. So in terms of of where to go from here, it's just a month now until the February monetary policy statement. The big piece of data to come out before then is the labour market suite. So unemployment, employment, wage growth, that kind of thing. That's the last major data. That's on the 7th of February leading up to the MPS on the 28th. To quote Paul Conway, I'm being very careful here. I'm not going to give away anything about the future path of the OCR. So there you go. It was not a speech that was designed to move the market massively, and it didn't. It was a bit hawkish relative to the market expectations, and so far as the market is pricing two cuts by August and the Reserve Bank's not expecting to cut rates until next year. Number four. In Australia, consumer confidence has bottomed out, but remains well below its long-term average. I asked ANZ senior economist Adelaide Timbrell why there has been such a slump in consumer confidence in Australia over the last four years, despite low unemployment. The shift in confidence started when inflation really ramped up in Australia. It did not start with the Reserve Bank rate hikes. It started far before then. And that's really because the thing about cost of living pressures is it affects every single person who is surveyed. When you have, for instance, a higher unemployment rate than usual, that's going to hit the personal finances and confidence of people who lose their jobs much more than it hits the rest of the economy. But when you've got cost of living pressures, every single person feels that hit. Not to the same extent, not in the same way, but everybody feels it to some extent. Number five. Elsewhere in Australia, that weak consumer confidence is reflected in lower retail sales overall in December. But as Australia economist Maddie Dunk explains, there is a shift going on under the surface. 
towards Black Friday sales and away from Boxing Day sales, and also towards eating out and services rather than clothes and other physical goods. But even that eating out is starting to slow. What we have seen is that there were big falls in discretionary goods categories. So these are categories like department store spending, household goods, and also fashion retailers. And that's understandable. It's a bit of that Black Friday hangover effect. But probably one of the more interesting things in the data set was that dining also fell and was down for the month. Now, dining is not a category that is going to be affected by Black Friday sales. So the fact we're seeing weakness there does just point to the broader consumer environment and suggest that people are continuing to cut back. Maddie Dunk there. Now, in our bonus deep dive interview, ANZ economist Diraj Nim takes us deep into India's pre-election budget due on Thursday night, and in particular, its remarkably low income tax collection rates. India's fiscal problem is not so much a large spending bill, but it's you know poor capacity to raise enough taxes, and that is what reflects in both income tax collections, the personal income taxes, as well as the indirect taxes. Now, if I were to give you a number, the personal income taxes as a share of GDP are about 3 to 3.5% in India. That's a fairly low number for a government that's running such a large budget. And there are just two reasons for it. One, uh, a very small proportion of population or adult population actually pays taxes. So it's about 5% of the total population and about 67% of the adult population that actually pays income taxes. And even within that, you know, a large mass of people actually fall into the income bracket where taxes are exempted. So it's poor tax compliance and also uh, generally low average income that contribute to low direct taxes in India's case. As far as indirect taxes are concerned, well, the gamut of uh, transactions on which indirect taxes are levied is not particularly narrow. I mean, apart from some agricultural items and uh, transactions which are uh, beneficiary or welfare in nature, indirect taxes are levied at different rates on various transactions. It's a consumption-based tax, so it covers a fairly broad base. But of course, against compliance is one reason why indirect taxes in India remain low. Are there signs, though, that there is some improvement in compliance? And also, as incomes grow, people are starting to move into the tax brackets where they're paying. That is true. So we have seen uh, various updates from the government which testify to the latter, that the average income of the taxpayer is improving. Of course, India is an upwardly mobile economy with per capita incomes rising. And consumption trends do show that you know average incomes are rising. So the taxable capacity of these incomes will also improve. We have some interesting findings uh, on the former point that you're making that perhaps, you know, the poor tax compliance that India is infamous for might actually be a constraint that is easing now. So we have done some interesting work to find out that over the last three years, when income taxes and corporate taxes have been exceptionally buoyant, actually they have been growing much faster than we had anticipated, what has caused that? Now, theoretically, you know, the growth in taxes can be broken down into three sources. The first is the tax bit or in a way output. The second is inflation. And the third bit is tax compliance. And we found that about 20% of the annual tax increase in uh, direct taxes between mid-2020 to about 
2023 could be attributed to factors like tax compliance. That metric for indirect taxes is somewhat lower at about 5 to 10%. But nevertheless, considerable gains have been made in the last three years on account of improving tax compliance. And how much of a factor is the move towards the national identification system and also an increasing amount of transactions and payments being digital rather than cash? Look, we think these are some very powerful trends to reckon with. I mean, of course, it's difficult to you know single out or quantify the contribution of each of these structural trends in these numbers. But we believe that formalization, digitalization, you know, And as you said, the expansion of the pool of taxpayers as well as average incomes rising are these are these factors that we are counting on for, you know, these these tax constraints on India's fiscal capacity to loosen. And also on the the spending side, one of the features is uh, a healthy public capital expenditure, uh, particularly on infrastructure, which which has been growing and, and seems very solid. That is true. Actually, capital expenditure from the federal budgets is one of the leading drivers of growth in the economy right now. And and we believe that this trust will be maintained. So just to give you some numbers, in FY24, that is the uh, fiscal year ending March 2024, these allocations were made to the tune of 3.3% of GDP, which was perhaps the highest we've seen in the last two decades almost. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Wednesday, January the 31st. Catch you tomorrow with the latest on Australian inflation data due later today. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.